We'll start in Matthew 24. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bible and we'll get... I do not know, and it really does not matter exactly when the live stream and the recording starts, but I just generally wait until after I pray to say anything pertinent to the Sunday school lesson. So let's go ahead and we'll ask the Lord's blessing and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for who you are and for your words and may we be genuinely grateful always and at all times for all that you have done and are doing and for all the promises that we enjoy that are made possible by you through your son to us. And we pray, Father, that these blessings would extend to all that many others would come to know you and to believe upon you and enjoy the bounty of your grace and mercy. Bless our Sunday school time. Uh, We pray, Father, that we would be wise and understanding in our study of the word. We ask your help to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been, I, I have been asked, was asked a while back if I would give some attention to denominations, uh, which I was more than happy to do, and decided that, prob- that the way I would be the most comfortable dealing with it would be rather than just walk through the denominations and their history, to talk about some of the doctrines that have contributed or that are that form us into denominations. There's a reason that we're not all the same. Um, and so this morning, I'm, and, and I'm doing two things. I'm, I'm just kind of, for, to whatever extent you care, telling you how I'm thinking about this. I'm, I'm beginning to wind this down, right? We've talked about God and salvation and the ordinances and uh, some of those kinds of things and the way they fall denominationally. This morning, we're going to begin taking a couple weeks or maybe three weeks to talk about uh, the way different denominations view the end of the world which is one of the big things that divides us. I guess I should probably give some time to, uh, maybe, maybe let me think about that, some time to, to the gifts and the way we think about spiritual gifts. I don't know um, if we'll do that or not. But, um, <clears throat> and then in my mind, I'm, when, when I'm, we're done here with that, I'm going to just move slightly and, and really kind of deal with some of the similar things from a little bit different perspective, I want to turn our attention to major theological movements in American history, and I'm going to confine it to American history, and we'll see some of the other things that have contributed to denominations. So anyway, that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. So this morning on your outline that you have, end time events, and I do want to make just one disclaimer here. It, it is really not my intention to, to walk through all of the various components that go into end-time events and try to establish our position. In other words, I'm not planning to turn this into a class on eschatology. Um, when we get to it, and it'll be next week we're going to do something else because it's the Thanksgiving weekend and so many people are going to be gone. When we, when we come back to it the week after that, the first week in December, right? I'm going to walk through some of the basic positions, and and I will certainly point out what my position would be, and that matters because that's what I would teach you. Um, But again, it's not my intention here to get into an extended discussion of 
the merits of each position. I'll certainly field any questions, but simply to point out the differences and the way denominations line up upon them. So again, with ref so to our to our outline, one of the biggest issues dividing denominations is review of end time events. If you care, theologically we call it eschatology. Eschatology means the study of the last things, right? The eschaton. What's going to happen at the end? And everybody wants to know what the end is going to look like. Or let me let me rephrase that. Everybody has an explanation for what the end is going to be like. Uh, I guess I can't speak this to everybody's widespread interest, but everybody has a, a position of what the end is going to look like. Um, okay. When we talk about last things or eschatology, these things include the second coming of Christ, the millennium, which is going to include whether or not there is one and how long it is, the rapture, if there is one, and when it happens, the final judgment of mankind, and the eternal state. Those are things that are brought under the umbrella of eschatology. Jesus fielded the question in Matthew 24 because people were asking him, what's the end going to be like? And what is the end going to be like? What I want to do this morning, okay, and I, I think this we can I can kind of build this just off of point number one, okay? What I want to do this morning are kind of walk through the things that most Christians, many professing Christians, would agree upon. So we're going to begin this by talking about points of agreement. And that's the first blank in your outline. We agree upon certain things. Now, not everybody that professes Christianity does agree on these things. But most people who are truly serious about the Bible uh, do have these points of agreement. First, there is agreement that there is a literal second coming of Christ to earth. And just for the sake of my own conscience, folks, because of the nature of the church that we are. It is, it is really important that we understand that in, in the Baptist world like ours, we believe that there is a rapture and a second coming, and they are not the same thing. Now, there are a number of professing Christians who don't believe in a rapture, and they are going to interpret every reference to the coming of Christ as a second coming, and we will get to that. But there is a literal second coming of Christ to earth. Matthew 24, verse number 44. Therefore be also ready for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. In an hour, such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Or Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse number 8. 
I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And then really, folks, for, I think for sake of memory, helpful memory, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11 is one of the most important passages for us to have in our repertoire of verses on this subject. <coughs> Acts chapter 1, and let's start at verse number 10. <clears throat> And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, I mean, we can just kind of walk through this, folks, the, 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 the details that are being developed here. The same Jesus, not a different Jesus. The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, his ascension, shall so come again in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So it is all there, folks, the literality of his second coming. Right To deny the literality of his second coming, in order to do that, you have to deny... His ascension. You have to take the position that he didn't really go up. And to argue that it's not bodily, and we'll come to this because many people, not many, but some people argue that all those passages about the return of Christ do not refer to his literal return, but to some kind of spiritual return. But it's the same manner very technical expression, folks. What, you're, what, we, what they saw happen in the going up, they will see happen in the coming down. They watched him leave. They saw his body go. They will watch him come. They will see his body return. And it will come back to earth. So the visible, literal, bodily return of Jesus Christ is something that the Bible teaches emphatically. And it is something in which, on, upon which most Bible believers agree that he will return literally. Hebrews chapter 9. I just want to take some time and, and point this out again and deal with the doctrine We're very familiar with Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So the second coming of Christ the second appearance of Christ, and then finally Revelation 1-7. And these are, these are not all the verses, but these are verses that argue for 
the visible, literal return of Christ to earth. Verse number 7 of Revelation chapter number 1. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now again, this is there's a little more information there that we're not going to get into this morning, but Revelation 1.7 is not being presented as a comfort to everybody. Paul talks about what we would call the rapture, but again, not everybody agrees that that's the rapture. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul tells us to comfort each other with the words, with the words of Christ about his coming. But here... <clears throat> This is not good news for everybody when he comes. Everybody will see him, not everybody will welcome him. He will be the source of much grief when he returns. So in your outline, many but not all Christian denominations agree that there is a literal second coming of Christ to earth. And again, I want to reiterate, folks, this is not the rapture. Not all Christians agree that there is a rapture. But most Bible-believing Christians agree that there is a second coming. And I've already mentioned this, but some, some professing Christians, and you know, right, there are false professions in Baptist churches and true professions in probably the most unlikely places. But some professing Christians deny the little return of Christ arguing simply that the advance and spread of Christianity constitutes his return, the equivalent of his return, that when he comes, what, as, as, as more people are introduced to Christianity and more people embrace it, this will function as the substitute. This is, this is probably the prevailing view of most liberal Protestant denominations. And we'll, we'll get to this, somewhere down the road when we talk about major movements in American history. But at the early 20th century, the late 19th century, early 20th century, in the modernist fundamentalist crisis, this was one of the greatly debated issues, was on the literal return of Christ to earth. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, it was just one of the things that was a very quick way of identifying somebody. Are you a, are you a fundamentalist? Or are you a modernist? Answer this question. Is Jesus coming back literally, yes or no? No. Then you're a modernist. That was, it was just that simple. And at that time, it really was just that simple. Is Jesus literally coming back, yes, then you would be a fundamentalist. And, and, and pretty much all Bible believers were being called fundamentalists at, at 1900. But we'll, we, again, we'll get to that. All right, so there's the first point. Many but not all Christian denominations agree that Jesus is coming to earth the second time. Letter B, we don't know when. We don't know when. And again, among Bible believers, there's pretty much widespread agreement that we don't know when. 
Matthew 24, 44, Jesus said you come, he is coming in an hour when men think not. And all jokes that we make aside, right, Jesus said he is coming at a time when men don't think he's coming. If you want to go back, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verse number 13. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Or Mark chapter 13. And verse number 32. Mark 13, 32, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. So broadly speaking, we all believe that Jesus is coming back. And equally broadly speaking, none of us have any idea when. And I think we all are aware of this, folks, that as of today's date, all the date setters have been wrong. Every single date setter has been wrong. That includes the Jehovah's Witnesses, with whom we would ever have any anything to do. And that includes men like Harold Camping and a number of good people listen to his radio station for hours upon end. Had great music. Why they ever gave Harold Camping a microphone is one of the mysteries of the earth. <coughs> but we don't know when he's coming. We know he is. Excuse me. Lingering effects of the last week. We know that he is, and we don't know when. Letter C. <clears throat> We all agree that the second coming of Jesus will have significant consequences. This will not be a blip in world history. This will be monumental. It will include 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the judgment of all believers. Second Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. So all believers will be judged and our best understanding is that all believers will be judged at the same time at the second coming. 
It will also include Revelation chapter 20, the final judgment of all unbelievers. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Everybody gets judged by their works, by the way. Do you notice that? We who believe will be judged for the things we have done, whether they are good or bad, and unbelievers will be judged for the things that they have done. So everybody gets judged upon their works, and this will be a consequence of the second coming of Christ. And then, and this is the content of Revelation 21 and 22, there is the new heaven and the new earth and the eternal state. And again, although this is not the subject matter this morning, folks, I would remind you, I would point out to you that the vast majority of Bible writers were not oriented around the eternal state but about God's kingdom. And without getting on to all of the technicalities of what the kingdom is and when it is and where it is and how long it lasts and all of those kinds of things, Bible writers were preoccupied with God's kingdom. And I think that the kingdom of God in their understanding and therefore our understanding is different than the eternal state. There is coming a time of new heaven and new earth. There is coming, folks, according to the book of Isaiah, there is coming a time when we will not even remember that we lived this life in this world. We will have no recollection of it. We will not think about home and think of home as some place on this earth. It will, not only will that earth be gone, but our memory of it will be gone. That is what Isaiah tells us is coming. So there are references to the eternal state. But it is not the preoccupation of the Bible writer. The preoccupation of the Bible writer is the kingdom of Christ and the reign of the Messiah. So there is widespread agreement that Jesus is literally coming, that we don't know when he is coming, and that when he does come, it's going to be big. It's a big, big deal. Secondly, on your outline, Although many of us agree that Jesus is coming literally, we have widespread disagreements over many other details. We disagree about a lot of things. And some of those disagreements, folks, just con they're not the only thing, but they're part of what constitutes us into denominations. For instance, letter A, they disagree on whether or not Jesus would come back at any moment. And the technical word for that is imminency. 
And I just mention that because I'll probably say it or have said it at some time, and you may hear somebody preach it when they talk about the imminent return of Christ. And that's one of those words that we kind of use to describe this technical idea, right? Matthew 24, 44. When are you coming back? I am coming back. When are you coming? When you don't think I am. At a time when men think not. And you don't know the day, and you don't know the hour, and so you need to watch and pray, because you need to always be ready. Now let's just, right, let's just, let's just be generous and gracious here for a moment, folks. Hope we can do that, right? Number one, reconciling <clears throat> the no man knows passages with the signs of the time passages with the any moment passages causes all of us trouble. Because we're all dealing with those three streams of information. I will repeat those three things. The no man knows, right? When are you coming? No man knows when I'm coming. When are you coming? Well, when you see the signs of the time, you know I'm coming pretty soon. And then I could come at any time. Now, some people, unfortunately, particularly on the fundamentalist side, are so absolutely convinced that they have got it nailed down to the exact degree, that they have absolutely no toleration for anybody who doesn't say shibboleth their way. But many people are very gracious. One of the reasons, folks, when you get into the world of broader fellowship, I mean, there are things over which we just could not associate with other people. We, we could not, with a clear conscience, associate with people who believe, I mean, and you know, I, I don't mean in a, in a family sense, you know, going to my relative's house, but I mean in a religious sense with those who believe that in transubstantiation or those who believe that salvation is by good works or those who deny the, the Trinity. But we are really, you know, a couple of weeks ago we worked our way through John 6 talking about uh, you know, <clears throat> transubstantiation. Somebody said, boy, pastor, we got into the tall grass. Folks, this is tall grass. I got the Bible telling me three things. You don't know when. But make sure you're looking at the signs of the times. And it could be any moment. And it is the same God who is telling me all three things. For instance, right? Let's just take a minute and walk through this. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Right here are some of the no man knows. Let's just take a minute and look at some of the no man knows passages. Matthew 24, 36. <coughs> Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, 
until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. So Matthew 24, 36 to 44, nobody knows. Also Matthew 25, 13, if you're putting these verses down. Also Mark 13, 32 through 33. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> so, yes, sir. Are and the question is, are those verses talking about the rapture or the second coming? Hmm. Seriously, hmm. I think that they're mostly about the second coming. And, okay, I believe in the rapture, and we'll get to this, you know, Omar, I'm a premillennial rapture, pre-trib kind of guy. And, and here's, kind of where I, here's kind of where I get stuck. Right? I think Paul's teaching the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15. But he phrases it this way, Behold, I show you a mystery. And mysteries are things that God is revealing and he hasn't revealed them until then. I think it's possible that Jesus is alluding to a rapture. But I'm not sure in, in, you know, because he's clearly stating right here that he doesn't know when he's coming back. Right? That, that that's one of the things that he has emptied himself of is that exercise of divinity, Philippians chapter 2. He doesn't know when he's coming back. So I don't know. I mean, and, and you know this, right? Because this becomes part of the, when we get down into the nitty gritty, this becomes part of the fight. Is, all right, are we dealing with the rapture? Are we dealing with the second coming? And, you know, we're, we're trying to reconcile all of these passages. And again, folks, to be, I, I think we should try and be as gracious as we can in acknowledging that we are all struggling at some level and, you know, sometimes the things that makes us different is just simply the weight that we would give to one statement at the expense of another statement or that seems to persuade us to be more persuasive than another. So, David? Just to make it a little bit more confusing. Well, do we need to make it more confusing, Dave? I mean, really, is that, is that the objective today? Well, uh, will every human being that has ever lived see him come back? Uh, interesting question. So, when he said, when he says in Revelation 1-7, then they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That has clear Old Testament allusions. And about two-thirds of the book of Revelation has Old Testament allusions. Okay? But that is actually treated as a prediction in the book of Zechariah, which is one of the reasons, Dave, that we take a fairly strong position on a literal earthly kingdom 
and the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation because they shall look upon me whom they have pierced is, is a nation of Israel sense of they. Right? God always deals with, I mean, God deals with everybody kind of representatively. He deals with us obviously individually. He knows who you are by name. But you're also either a Jew or a Gentile. You're either covenant or not covenant. More specifically, you're, we're all in Adam and represented by Adam. And those of us who believe, Rebel, or uh, Romans 5.17, are represented by Christ. So we always have a representative. So I think that the use of that expression there, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, is a reference back to the book of Isaiah in which Israel is at the brink of destruction yet again in, this, in, the, in the tribulation. And they are rescued nothing by nothing other than the arrival of their Messiah. And this is one of the reasons that there is this widespread mourning. Again, you have to go back to the book of Zechariah and read that. But, but their deliverance by the man that they have historically rejected and ridiculed, right, is going to bring about such contrition, Zechariah tells us, that, that everybody's basically going to scatter and go to his own house and they're just going to mourn. I mean, how could we have done this to him? So that, that seems to be the framework there. So, you know, as far as people like Peter, James, and John, <clears throat> you know, that's an interesting perspective. They will certainly see it, but, but they will see it from up there, not from down here. Right? Because they're, in a sense, they're not here. So, but yeah, the, all these things, right? And a lot of these things, the, you know, I, I just love the line that the guy said about Genesis, you know, the Genesis 6, I knew what I believed until I studied the passage carefully. And some of this, the more we get into it, the more confusing it gets. For instance, let's, end the, let's just take the last few minutes that we do have. All right, so I gave you some of the no one knows passages, Matthew 24, 36 through 44, we just read, Matthew 25, 13, Mark 13, 32, and 33. And again, folks, one of the ways that we resolve this is by arguing, well, these are second coming passages and these are rapture passages, but not everybody believes that. I mean, not everybody would, would take that position and approach. Um, Right? Then you have to that the signs of the time passages. For instance, Matthew 24, back up to verse number 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, putteth forth leaves, know that you know that summer is nigh. Right? We know the winter is coming. All the leaves have fallen off the trees. It's dark at 5 o'clock. We know that winter is coming. So likewise, verse 33, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, so all these things be fulfilled. And boy, folks, is that, a, is that an explosive statement? Because there have been books written about the meaning of that word generation. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Right? So here's kind of one of those signs of the time passages. Right? When, when the branch is tender and put it forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. In a few months, right? In a few months, things will start to turn green. <clears throat> and the trees will start to leaf out. And we'll know summer is here. 
So you have signs of the time pass. Let me give you some other ones. Luke 21, 7 through 9. Hebrews 10, 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but exhort one another daily. As you see the day approaching, And then you have the at-any-moment passages. And the at-any-moment passages are found mostly in the epistles, 1 Thessalonians 5.2. James 5, 7-9, a couple, a couple of them. Revelation 1.3. And by the way, one of the reasons, folks, that numbers of us do believe in the rapture <clears throat> is because right we do have these passages that bring us to the brink of an any moment appearing of Christ and we do have other passages that seem to require a a sequence of events before there is the return of Christ now, here's, here's where we want to always be careful, folks, because we, we don't want to let our logic be the dominating force of Scripture. But on the other hand, God has written the Bible in such a way that our minds can grasp it when they are enlightened by His Spirit. So, all right, so... To go back to our Sunday school lesson, because I really haven't quite finished that yet, and again, I am more than happy to spend more time on this, but that might be a separate series. That, that might be, this might be something that it would be best to do if we could divvy up Sunday school classes, because not everybody has the same appetite for the minutia of eschatology that everybody else does, so... A letter B, they disagree on whether there is a rapture and if there is, when it will occur. So some people don't believe that there's a rapture at all. And in fact, folks, some people who believe in a literal thousand-year millennial kingdom do not believe there will be a rapture first. We will get to that. Some people believe that there will be a seven-year tribulation and the rapture will be in the middle of it. Some people believe there will be a rapture at the end of the kingdom. So we don't all agree that there will be one, and we most certainly do not agree on when it will be. They disagree on when the second coming of Christ will occur. Letter D, they disagree on the existence and nature of the millennium. Is it really a thousand years? Or is a thousand years figurative for just a really long time? And I will get to that because I don't understand why we would argue that a thousand years should be argued for a really long time. If a thousand years is like a day to the Lord, why isn't it possible that what is being argued is that it's a really short time? But you never hear anybody say that. It's, always thousand, it's not a thousand years, it's just a long time. Well, and then we certainly don't agree on whether or not Christians go through it or at least part of it, right? Our position, the, the, my position, the traditional dispensational pre-trib, pre-millennial rapture of the church is that we will be delivered from 
the tribulation. Some people believe that Christians will go about halfway through the tribulation and then be raptured. And some people believe that we're kind of living in the whole thing right now, the good and the bad and all of it. And then finally, folks, some people even disagree on the nature of eternal punishment. I think this is very unfortunate, but there has been in recent years a growing movement among professing Bible believers to reject the idea of eternal punishment. And I mean, there have been some notable men in the world of biblical Christianity who have argued for something like annihilationism, that we are just, that people are just ultimately extinguished. So we agree, again, to, to recapitulate, we, we agree broadly that Christ is literally coming back. We agree that we don't know exactly when that will be and his return will be significant. We have lots of points of disagreement. And those disagreements are, are equally contributing to the things that turn us into denominations. And, and sometimes we'll, we'll, I think, eventually get to this a little bit. Even the things that make us differ within the same framework of denomination. Right? Not every, you know this, folks. Not every Baptist is the same Baptist. Not every Baptist is the same Baptist. And some of those differences among Baptists have to do with these kinds of things, about the return of Christ and... The, the nature of his return. So uh, here's what I would ask of you. Um, if you have specific questions about the subject, if you would please put them in writing, and I ask that only because, for two reasons, because I just have a bad tendency not to remember. And secondly, if I do remember, I want to remember the question that you asked, not the question that I thought I heard you ask. So if you would put your question in writing, then I can address your question um, rather than my interpretation of your question. I don't want to do that uh, <clears throat> and have you sitting out there going, <clears throat> what is he talking about? That's not what I asked. And so, um, any other comment, question? Oh, yes, sir. Okay, so the question is, what is the agenda of the, and, and that flowed out of the modernist movement, which is an interesting point, because I'm going to guess, I, I want to back up. I, I think we should probably, on the basis of a couple things Paul said, right? P Paul, because Paul criticized people who were denying the resurrection, and, and of course that's the resurrection, and who had argued that the resurrection had already passed. So, there are always going to be errors. With reference to the late 19th century, 20th century, that was the modernist movement. And I don't think that it was a, um, it was an, an agenda to advance like amillennialism or postmillennialism. Modernism was about primarily the rejection of supernatural elements of Christianity. So Christ did not die a substitutionary death. He died as an example or as a martyr. Um, 
You know, I know that I've mentioned this before, but uh, it gave rise to the social gospel movement um, that was that argued that what mean what men needed to be delivered from was evil institutions and evil society and culture. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was a clear adherent to the social gospel movement. He wasn't preaching that men were individual sinners who needed salvation from their sin. He was preaching a salvation from the oppressive evils of society. And so it was a very materialistic, um, and, and I don't mean get more money, but it was, you know, man, man is material, sin is material in nature, redemption is going to be material in recovery. Those were the kind of emphases of that modernistic movement. Um, and so I think that was driving it more than, you know, uh, because a, 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 a true Bible-believing amillennialist believes in a literal second coming. He just believes that we're living in the tribulation and the kingdom right now. I mean, we'll talk about this, right? We're just living, we're this, we are living in Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We're living it right now. Yes, sir? No, I think that, well, I think that um, liberal Presbyterianism would, liberal Episcopalianism would, um, liberal Baptists would. It's, it's more of a movement than a denominational label, yes. It is, a, it is a characteristic hallmark of liberalism uh, more than a denominational benchmark. So, okay, we will be back at 11 o'clock.